Hello there and welcome to our podcast, Conversations in Noosa. My name is John Caruso. It's not every day that you sit opposite someone with remarkable stories of survival. As you'll hear in this podcast, Susie Smead cheated death three times before she was six years old. Her parents fled Budapest during the Second World War and her grandparents were killed in Auschwitz. Susie's family arrived in Australia in 1949 and Susie says she was bullied at school because she was a refugee. These days, she's part of Courage to Care, where she speaks to school kids about her experiences. If you've had what you consider a, a tough day at work, or maybe you're worried or down about money, relationships or life in general, this podcast just might help put your life into perspective. I was very young during the war. I was rounded up in 44 when I was one and a half. So most most of the stories that I have, I sat my father down not long before he died and I'm really sorry I didn't um, spend more time trying to get stories out of him. Mum would occasionally tell me a few things. But I did remember as I got older things um, like in Hungary when um, after the war I remember and then I remember us escaping from the communists when I was six years old and that I remember very vividly being in a Russian mail truck under sacks of mail as we went across the border and the driver got out and he was joking with the border guards so they wouldn't come and search the mail truck and we were very lucky because when we got across to Vienna we found out the following week that the the, the same uh, truck was searched and everyone was shot on, on, on that particular crossing. So I'm a very fortunate lady to be here. You know, we don't come in contact with people like you very often who have right. these stories. Yeah. And so... Listening to you talk, I can sit here and go that you know that's incredible, mm. uh, and the persecution and the challenges and uh, that that your fa- you and your family experienced. But at the time in that place, this would have been common for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of, people. of millions, millions of, people. of people, John. Well, we when I was one and a half, my mother, my grandparents, and I were rounded up, put into a ghetto for deportation to Auschwitz. And very fortunately, my mother and I were smuggled out of the ghetto by a very good friend of my mother's who bribed the guards. But unfortunately, my grandparents uh, were not able to be brought out and they went straight to Auschwitz and to the gas chambers. I do have an interest in the Second World War, but just refresh my memory, Susie. Hungary at the time, was it under German occupation, was it? No. What happened, uh, the Hungarian government was an ally of the Germans. They were part of the Axis. And then in 1944, the Hungarians decided they would leave the German Axis and that's when the Germans invaded Hungary in March 1944 and then they started rounding the Jews up wholesale. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about this escaping. There, there was a bit of a cat and mouse game in terms of you guys leaving that region, wasn't there? I remember you being hid, hidden, was that right, yes, in, yes. in the roof of some... Uh, can well, can you well, tell me that story? Yes. Um, when we were driven up to Budapest and then uh, a very good friend gave us a safe house for some months and we were nearly discovered and in the November, just before the Russians' uh, front was coming through, 
My parents went back to their own apartment. They went and hid in the ceiling space with, and they gave me to the maid and who was a Christian and asked her to take me to the country uh, to stay with friends. Uh, so because I was two years old, they were worried I wouldn't survive. And they stayed there. My parents stayed hidden till the Russians occupied Budapest. When they came down from hiding, uh, the maid said they'd left me in an orphanage because they couldn't get to where they wanted to leave me. And so my parents set out in January, half-starved in the freezing cold. It was one of the coldest winters in '45. And they set out on foot to try and locate me in this orphanage that I'd been left at. And quite miraculously, which I still, when I tell the story, it's it's just so amazing. Uh, three days along their journey, they were sitting opposite a lady and she asked them what they were doing in that area because most of the Jews had been deported. And my mother burst out crying and she said, we're trying to locate my red-headed Susie that was left in an orphanage in a little town called Mishkoltz. And the lady said, I know about that orphanage. It was disbanded. And did your little red-headed Susie have a jumper with her name embroidered in the front? And my mother said, yes, yes. And she said, well, I know someone in my village that took a child in like that. So, I mean, it was like one in a million That, that is a miraculous was, discovery. That's right. Yeah. So I'd been passed around to seven different families when they finally found me in the village and I was living with a peasant lady and she had me hidden in a barn with the animals and I was sleeping in a trough with the hay. And the story goes that that's one of the reasons I love animals so much because I spent some of my early childhood in a barn with animals. Yeah. Did you have any any siblings, Susie? No, no. Only child. Only child, yes. So my... you would have only been three in 1945. Yes, that's right. Any recollection or memories at all of that or are they stories that your mum had, had told you about discovering, you rediscovering know, you again? I think I recall them but I'm not sure. It's more like a picture in my head that stories they told me. But I certainly remember when we went back to Budapest at the end of the war and and I remember a story of my father starting his business up again because mum didn't want to leave hungry because she didn't know for sure what had happened to her parents. And this I do remember vividly that mum looked out of the shop and there was a big commotion on the street and she wondered what was going on. And there was I with all the wrapping paper from the shop selling it to people, passers-by for chocolates and, and oranges and even silver paper. And that I remember very vividly because when I went back to Hungary when I was 60, I remembered the shop. When you were 60? I went back to yeah. Hungary after my father died to do a little bit of um, history, find places where I'd been rounded up and yeah. where we lived and... Uh, where Dad had the business, as I said, and it all came flooding back to me then. Was that the first time you'd returned? No, I went back when I was 24 under the communist, which was, you know, pretty pretty depressing in Budapest. But I visited with my mother's closest friend and she took me up to the apartment we lived in and that I remembered when they opened the door. I, I remembered all the, the rooms in the apartment that we had lived in when we left Hungary. 
have you ever been to the concentration camps to the, to Auschwitz? Is that no, 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 no? I will be going to Yed Vashem in Jerusalem next um, Holocaust Memorial Day to be part of the celebration there, which I feel very honoured to be asked to to take part in 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 that Memorial Day. And when you that your grandparents were killed, were your mum's parents or your dad's parents? My my dad was an orphan at the age of sixteen. Okay, he was quite a feisty guy. I mean, I'll tell you a little funny story about dad. He was rounded up <clears throat> to work for the Luftwaffe, and um, he um, he he did a bit of sabotage, telling the workers not to work so hard. <laughs> and someone reported him. And he was taken out in front of the camp and trussed up. Uh, but, uh, no, Dad uh, was very self-taught and um, he loved reading all the time, but it was my mother's parents that, that went to the concentration camp. When you went to your dad, and, and I think we're all guilty of it, we, we never really sit down with our parents and, and try and scratch the surface and get those stories. But, but you're very fortunate and, and you know, to, to have done that. Um, was your dad quite giving with this information or was he a little reserved he didn't want to he wanted to talk about those times or, it was, or it not was really? only later in life I did hear things little snippets and I and I'm I'm cross at myself actually for not doing more digging with my parents but they were busy getting on with their life and it was only when he got older I did sit him down and and I did write down the things that he remembered dates and places and um, and luckily, um, when he died, I found a lot of original documents that enabled me to do some research when I went back to Hungary. Understanding the kind of life that you, you and challenges and, and persecution that you and your family have been through, today, in 2018, when you think about your life and where you've come and what you've overcome and what your parents overcome, do you think you're fortunate? Do you count yourself lucky? And then how do you feel? Because, you know, we think we get caught up in this day-to-day. People, can, you know, whether they whinge about money or their job or their relationship. And, and you guys have, and, and your family has been through this this kind of uh, period in history that, that to this point no one else has kind of mm. had to live through. What's I, your take on that? So I just want to understand your position in... Well, A, I feel, I feel I'm one of the luckiest people on earth. I've, I've escaped death three times, I think, by the time I was six. Wow. Uh, so I feel incredibly lucky. I think we live in the most fantastic country. Sometimes politics aren't quite what we'd like. but And I do get a little annoyed when people, someone looks sideways at you and they need counselling and they have not lived through really difficult times. And I think we are, you know, and you go overseas and you come back to this absolutely fabulous country we live in. We should kiss the ground that we live on. And also, I'm very fortunate. I married my, I met my present husband when I was 40, and it's been the best years of my life. And we live up here in Noosa, which I reckon is absolutely heaven. And I pinch myself every morning yeah. for living in this absolutely fabulous place. Yeah. And I can't believe here, you know, I'm 75 and I live uh, living this very fortunate life. Yeah. You feel like, you know, uh, 
clipping some people over the years. I do. <laughs> when I really do sometimes. When, Wake up to yourself. Yes. You know, you know, I've got to work another hour a day or someone <laughs> someone said something to me. I mean, I was called a bloody refo when I was at school. When I came here as a young child, I couldn't speak English. The, the Catholic Church very kindly offered to educate me at no cost because my parents had no money and they had converted to Catholicism during the war to try and save themselves from persecution, which didn't work, but which a lot of Jews did. And when we came here, the Catholic Church offered to educate me and I went off to boarding school at age seven. I couldn't speak English. I, I didn't understand the food, the language, um, I was the first non-Australian at this this boarding school, and you got bullied. Oh, I got bullied big time, but it made me stronger, and I got a fantastic education. I'm very grateful for that. So, um, you know, I, I find young people today get upset about very simple things, and that I think, you know, take a look at what, where you're living. Yeah. You do you do some school chats or school talks? What what do you call them, Susie? You, you go to, from well, school to school. Yes, I've been asked, and this year I've joined a group called Courage to Care, and we're invited into different schools, and it talks about the Holocaust. But the main purpose of the talk is to talk about people that help save you, and the bullying. And it's done in that context. So they get, they talk about the Holocaust and then they get a Holocaust survivor like myself to talk about their experiences. And then they talk to the, the children, uh, well, they're young, young adults really, they don't do it with very small children, but they then talk to them to ask them what they have got out of the talk, how they can improve their life, how they can help people. And I think it's a very, very worthwhile program and I've found it very rewarding to see how the young adults uh, respond to the talks. And, and how do they respond? Do they come up to you afterwards? And oh talk, yes, do, I get hugs what, and they want the photo taken and actually only this week I ran into a lady whose granddaughter had been at one of my talks and she said, oh, you know, it was just so interesting and really made me feel so much better about my life. And so I find it a very rewarding program uh, to be involved in, yeah. uh, and we, it's it started twenty years ago in Sydney, but um, uh, up here we do it round the Queensland schools. Let's talk about your family coming to Australia. It was was nineteen forty nine. Is yes. that right? Yes. Um, Sydney. That's right. Yes. Um, what did your mum and dad settle into as far as work goes, and how were they feeling at that time? Do you remember? I mean, were they were they really looking at this as the land of opportunity? I mean, there were, there were, it would have seemed like they'd travelled many, many miles from what was going on back in Europe. Well, you know, we lived in Vienna for a while. Dad played bridge to, to support us, <laughs> to pay for our food, and then we came out on a cargo ship, which was not very grand, I can tell you. We arrived here. Dad had nine pounds in his pocket. We had no Medicare, no Centrelink, no help from government. Uh, I think there must have been a Jewish board that somehow helped my parents. Dad got a job lugging boxes in a factory. My mother also went and worked in a factory sewing clothes. Uh, the very first thing my parents did was go to uh, English lessons. That was the very first thing they wanted to do, to, to be part of the community here. 
And a really funny story about that was uh, my father said to the teacher, how do I stop the child from having the Hungarian accent, you know, darling? (laughs) And because it wasn't fashionable in those days to have a European accent. And so um, they were told never speak English to the child at home. So we spoke Hungarian right up till the day my father died, I spoke Hungarian to him. And a little corollary to that, when I went back to Hungary when I was 60 and everyone was so lovely to me, I couldn't believe it. And there was this girl, daughter of a girlfriend of my mother and I was telling her how blown away I was, how kind people were to me. And she said, you know why? She said, we love listening to your Hungarian. You, you, when you open your mouth, out of a 60-year-old woman's mouth comes a speech of a six-year-old child <laughs> and say, so we just love listening to your Hungarian. <laughs> Can I ask you what your heart and your head tell you when you hear stories about refugees on Nauru and the way that the, our, our current government treats people that are seeking asylum here, understanding your journey? What do you think and feel about that, Susie? I feel desperately sorry for people that are get, running away from persecution. But... Um, I also feel very strongly that there are so many refugees in camps that are trying to get to Australia through the right channels and there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of them and I feel we should look after them, I agree, and we should welcome them but they should come through the proper channels and 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 not take place of people. Some of them, I think, aren't absolute persecuted refugees, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. They're more financial refugees. And I really feel very strongly that we should let the people that are being tortured and raped and, and burnt. Legitimate reasons. Yes. They should come and we should do everything we can help them. To a degree, but we should also look after a lot of Australians that are living very poorly and I think we need to do it in a very specific way. When you landed in this country, so 1949, you were seven, what dreams and hopes did you have, Susie? What did you want to do with your life? I wanted a doll. (laughs) That was it. I got my first doll because I had to leave all my beautiful toys. And I remember the very first Christmas I got a beautiful big doll and I have a photograph of it. But I just (laughs) wanted to – I wanted to be an Australian. I wanted to have a good life. I wanted to be part of this wonderful country like my parents did. Well, you mentioned you got a great education at yes, the boarding I did. school that you went to. Yes, I Was did. it retail then that you went into in Sydney? Well, no, not straight away, but later I, I went, I was working at a very large um, real estate office uh, in the city, in Sydney, and then I became part of the team, the management of the Strand Arcade, which is the beautiful old re- restored arcade in the middle of Sydney, well, my father was in clothing, so I suppose I had a little bit to do with fashion and um, that was a lovely job and I really loved loved that. Mm. It, it was very satisfying. When did you first set eyes on Noosa? Had you holidayed here? We had, we bought a holiday house back in the 70s. And, uh, sorry, no, back in the 90s. And we used to come up, my husband had um, a large um, air conditioning and, and engineering business and so we used to come up and holiday 
Then he sold the company and he kept saying, I want to live in Noosa permanently. And I kept saying, no, I'm a Sydney girl, I'm a Sydney girl, there's no way I, you know, and we'll be bored and whatever anyway. <laughs> then finally we we finally did um, sell Sydney and um, we came up here about eight years ago and it is the best thing we've ever did because I think the people up here are very inclusive. We have a lot of very caring People up here, we're all very supportive of each other. I think because we're all orphans, a lot of us are orphans or here. transitional, yeah, yes. yeah. You know, we've all come from somewhere else and we don't have family. So we, we've found we have a fantastic life here and a very interesting life. It's People say, what do you do all day? And I said, I'd like to have a day when, I, when I'm not doing too much <laughs> because, um, you know, there's always something very interesting or music or arts or people are entertaining. Yeah. It's a great place to live. Have you ever considered writing a book? Well, someone's offered to help me and one day before I get too much older, <laughs> I might do something, yes. Yeah. I have written my story down. Okay, just want to get it kind of formalised and yes. uh, published would be great because yes. I think it's a it's a remarkable story. Like I said, you know, for 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 me uh, to sit here and talk to somebody like you, and even the school kids that you visit, they would listen to your story and go, "What an incredible, incredible uh, journey and story of survival." But as we mentioned, you know, at the time, this was happening to millions of people. It wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't isolated. This Definitely was, not. No. no, I really appreciate you coming in and, and sharing mm. some of your thoughts and stories with us, Susie. Mm. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Susie Smead was my guest today on Conversations in Noosa. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you uh, found it inspirational and informative. If you did, uh, share the podcast about on your social media platforms and rate and review the podcast as well. There are two fresh conversations in Noosa every week on our In Noosa magazine website every Monday and Thursday. InNoosaMagazine.com.au forward slash conversations.